You're listening to Bedroom Beethoven's, where notable music makers break down stories accompanied by songs and melodies documenting growth through their 10,000-hour journey. And me? Well, my name is Cello, your host. Bedroom Beethoven. <laughs> it's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you without a strong podcast episode to step to. What's up, guys? Welcome, audiophiles, hip hop heads, and music geeks to the podcast. This is episode number 73. My guest this week is. What's up? My name is Shingo, too. I'm a. Tokyo-born, California-bred MC slash producer. I live in Hawaii right now. Um, you might know me from working with Nuja Bess on songs such as Love Sick series and also Battle Cry, that open Samurai Champ loop. started on Telegraph Ave. We go way back to the early 90s, how he got to start, what he's passionate about, from building resin figures to fashion, music, art, engineering, futurology, and we even trace his bloodlines back to samurai times. Lots of ground to cover, and of course we figure out the ins and outs, and who's, and why's, and what's and where's of his career and how he spends his times during quarantine and reflecting on what we should do and how we can grow to be more self-aware. As always, if you find yourself enjoying this podcast, take a moment to like, comment, and subscribe. Even if you're listening to this on YouTube, give it a thumbs up. Anything helps. Shingo's, uh, his, his vision of success have a lot more to do with independence rather than finances, and I'm the same way. I don't do this for money. I ain't Joe Rogan, and Spotify probably isn't knocking at my door, but I enjoy it. And I hope you do, too. Patreon.com slash Bedroom Beethoven's is where you can give a buck or two to the shizzo. Help me out. Let's keep this independent podcast indie. Let's keep it ad-free. And if this podcast becomes more work than play, well, then, you know, because I'm not an artist, I'm just uh, working hard at this point. And nobody wants that, right? All right, let's get into the show. But man, this beat has me feeling relaxed. One last thing. Substantial, who I'm honored to call a friend of the show, a frequent collaborator of Nuja Best as well. Don't forget the things that he does for this community, Substantial Art and Music LLC. It's an organization focused on providing consulting services to the art and music community. Visit www.subartandmusic.com for more info. Okay, let's start the show. I realize I'm in a unique position here because if I play my cards right and I ask the right questions, myself and my listeners can learn a whole lot from you. I don't want to gloss over the fact that you grew up in London and Africa and various other places. A lot of people like myself or people I've interviewed, it took this COVID-19 thing to open our eyes to how environments can be so different. And we're finally 
realizing that social structures do have a strong impact on the environment over time. And I feel like you knew this like 20 years ago by serving other cultures and societies. And I wouldn't be surprised if you knew something like this was on the horizon. Uh, Exactly what aspect are you referring to? I think you've always been kind of in touch with, you know, like we're part of the earth and the earth is a part of us. And I just think that we all took that for granted. And you were just, you know, you were, you were spread out between London and Japan, and you, you got to see a lot of the world that a lot of the normal population hasn't been afforded to. Oh, yeah, definitely. I was very lucky, but it's also kind of interesting you mentioned that on that level because I was just talking to someone about it in relation to what's going on right now with the pandemic was that I spent my formative years in um, Tanzania. It was a capital called Dar es Salaam. And, uh, you know, I pretty much grew up with privilege, obviously, because I came from Japan and it was my dad's work that we were there for. But I really witnessed poverty firsthand, like literally, you know, like across the street from where our home was, was like, you know, basically people living um, with less means, should I put it that way, you know, but it's just, you know, don't get me started, man. (laughs) This is like a larger context of how quote industrialized countries or the west in general can kind of have like a colonizer mentality and look at certain lack of access to things or just lack of material things and define that as poverty and that's kind of a terrible thing you know and and that's very reflected in the way that medicine is treated and vaccination is treated right now and how those policies are affecting those countries. And on a side note, you know, there's a lot of interesting go- things going on with Tanzania and Madagascar with some of the COVID-19 treatments. It's really interesting. It's really a hot topic right now. Yeah. So the reason why you, you went to all these various countries uh, when you were growing up, it, it was your dad's work primarily? Mm-hmm. Well, what did he do? Yeah. He was basically in a trade business, you know. So I don't know exactly why what circumstances that got him to Tanzania in the seventies, you know, with basically a wife and two kids, it must've been very challenging for my parents. But for me, you know, I was definitely oblivious to that. Like when I opened my eyes, basically I was in Tanzania and it was, it was really a great experience for me. You know, I remember everything like it was yesterday. It's interesting because I know you have samurai background in your ancestry. So I love learning about the mm-hmm. evolution of generations. You know, you have from samurai yeah. to your your dad was a, a tradesman and now you're a rapper and it's all following one uh-huh. bloodline. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is quite interesting, you know, because Japan definitely had that feudal era where everything was distinctly, distinctively like divided in class. You know what I mean? So yeah. the, people had no human rights back then. <laughs> and, and, you know, back then, like because of wars and disagreements, clans would eliminate other clans. They would just send them off to remote places or accuse them for being disloyal and they'd start wars and do whatever they can to eliminate their rivals. That's exactly right. So yeah. if you survived, yeah, and if you survived or escaped persecution, you can grow your lineage and trace it back hundreds and hundreds of years. None of this 23 and me stuff where you pay $70 and find out that you have an uncle Bob in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the real stuff here. Yeah. I mean, you just, you're, you just hit the nail on his head, so to speak, you know, like both of my father's side and mother's side, we're known to have escaped persecution one way or another, you know, 
the my last name is Annen. You know, Annen actually means to pray peacefully in the Shingon Buddhist sect. But before that, and because of my dad's side having converted to a Shingon priesthood, the records are kept there at Koyasan in Wakayama Prefecture, and this is and they've been open for like twelve hundred years. You know, so I can trace my lineage back like eight hundred years at least. And the Annen used to be the Wada clan. And they were in Kamakura area. And what's even crazier is that Nujabes, when he moved his studio to Kamakura, it was on the same block as the Wada family, like, memorial. Right down the street. Wow. No, I mean, oh, same wow. block, literally. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't know that. And I didn't even know that until I got there. And, yeah, it's it's really crazy. Yeah. Everything's kind of connected somewhere, somehow. And, and then also... Might I add the reason the Wada clan were persecuted because of the Hojo clan, which ruled Japan at the time. They literally, like as you described, they would just come up with some bogus claims and, uh, you know, accuse somebody of treason or you just strip their title and ship them off. And then that will start some beef and that'll turn into a war. And then once they uh, find out someone's trying to beef with them, they'll just like crush them, you know, like politically and also by force too. Yeah, so some of that Wada clan just escaped that, and then they became the Annen family. And then on my my mom's side is a whole other story too. Yeah, I mean the the history is 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 insanely interesting, and you you were talking about you know coming from a little bit of privilege, but also seeing things like starvation and theft, and even UFOs. I mean, a lot of things that would frighten a young person. Yeah. yeah. I don't know <laughs> where you read that, but all of that is true. Yeah. All of that is true. Hey, if you want to get into that, man, we got time. But I know that these these are the experiences that I would say helped mold you in some way. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, most definitely. And yeah, being in Tanzania for a few years and then just absorbing everything there. And then my family moved to London. And then I went back to Japan and then I, went, I, then I came to California. You're in, uh, when you come to California, you're in the San Mateo County, uh, Menlo Park. Right. The median, I, I did a little research. The medium home price in Menlo Park right now is 2.2 mil, which in Texas would buy you a mansion on the lake. So either this place has been gentrified or it was always kind of a nice part of California. What, what was it like when you were there? Right. Well, you got to realize I went to a public school called Menlo Atherton, and that included Redwood City, Palo Alto, and East Palo Alto, which was dubbed the murder capital of the country at the time. You know, they had these weird statistics back then. So... It was it was a sure. very eclectic mix. We are definitely not anywhere near like private school vibe, you know. It was just like a regular uh, elementary, I mean, high school, regular high school that I went to. It was awesome, you know, and that's where I really kind of got into hip hop initially. I, I I like stories like that. I had Eli on this podcast from the Living Legends. Mm-hmm. We were talking about how they priced him out of his old neighborhood. He grew up in Echo Park, but now he mm-hmm. can't even afford to move back, and it just it really sucks. Right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I didn't know. Like, you know, to t- t- I'm in Texas, so if you say the median home price is two point two mil, my jaw drops. But California is a whole different beast. Yeah, I mean, back then, of course, it's not like my family purchased a home. It was another job stint <laughs> for my dad in Silicon Valley. You know what I'm saying? So. Even where we lived, it wasn't like crazy big. But of course, if I drove around a few minutes in Atherton, you would see like Joe Montana's home and there'll be like homes with like helicopter pads inside. You know, it was pretty crazy. Paint me another picture because five years ago, 
Childish Gambino had a song called Telegraph Avenue, Oakland. And I bring that up because that's the location that kind of started it for you. That's where Shingo 2 and hip hop collided. Power 106. LA, it's your girl, yes, Ortiz. Got some brand new music. I need you to turn it up and let me know what you think. It's Lloyd called Oakland on Power 106. Oh, yeah, most definitely. So, me, I went to high school in Menlo Park, but also. I have to be honest that it was near Stanford, right? It's kind of near Stanford University. So that's kind of like very anti-Cal Berkeley. So while I was in high school, I was just like a regular kid. Like I said, I was a Niners fan, you know, Giants fan, just, just being a regular kid. But I didn't really have a good impression of Berkeley or city in general. But once I decided to go to school there, you know, I scoped it out. And then I was kind of intimidated at first because we didn't have... We didn't have that much of a street influence there, yeah? So, yeah, I was highly intimidated by the street scene when I um, went up to Telegraph uh, Avenue. But also that's where I, you know, saw everything go down, like right in front of my eyes. Like people are ciphering and passing out flyers and selling records, you know, just out, just out the trunk style, you know? So this is like, you know, 93-ish, 94. You, you got the attention of Del the Funky Homo Sapien, but you could have also gotten the attention of someone like Ice Cube. It all kind of depends on what side of the fence you fell on because gangster rap at the time was what was going to make you rich. It, whether you were genuine or not, if your raps had gun talk and gangster this and gangster that, you were going to get a paycheck. And I think Del was in the middle of all that. I think he fired Ice Cube and the writing team because he wanted to distance himself from that. Fresh from the meadow with the mellow attitude I was planning to pursue another quest for the bus I had to buy the window starving for a fix He spent his last 80 cents on fare He raises up and lets me get in his chair Then I sit and take a snooze But I still lose Cause I cruise right past my stop Had to get off and walk 15 blocks huh. Well, I mean, he was part of the lynch mob And then he told me that, you know, a lot of the records on the first album You know, I wish my brother George were here he he's not necessarily credited, but he did have a, a lot of um, he did have his hand in a lot of the production as well. And his cousin Ice Cube kind of just oversaw that process. So if I had to ask you what your favorite Dell album is, I wish my brother George was here would probably rank pretty high. I listened to that before I met him, you know, and then I actually moved to Cal in the fall of '93. So that's you know that's when '93 Till Infinity dropped basically. So. Yeah, for about a year or two, I was just a hardcore fan of hieroglyph- hieroglyphics before I even met them. So you became a fan, you found out where he was going to be, you drew a picture of him, and then you walked up to him and showed him. That's basically what happened. Um, <laughs> I know I'm generalizing. No, 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 no. It, it is kind of what happened. Because I, th- I think it's okay to talk about this now. There was like a weird time when Dell was like working at Rasputin's, like right by Cal Berkeley. Yeah, like I don't even know why he was doing that, but that was one of the times that I I might have said hi to him, snuck up on him, or even after he got off, I might have given him the artwork, you know. But but that but that was my. You think he still has that drawing? I think so. I mean, I talk to him every now and then. I I most definitely see him every time he comes to Hawaii. So we still keep in touch. And did this mentorship happen before or after you ended up taking a semester off in senior year? Yeah, this is way before. Because by the time, yeah, by the time I took time off, that's um, when I was like burnt out from basically trying to do music and going to school and trying to graduate at the same time. 
you know, I never had time off, man. Like all my summers were dedicated to just like trying to take more units just so I can graduate. Most hustlers don't, man. And it's a slippery slope because I hear a lot of people who say they're only a, a few credits away from graduating and they never come back. Uh-huh. But you, you uh-huh. did it and you end up, you know, uh, uh, here's my thing. It's just like, uh, why wasn't your major more art-based or ethnic studies? Like why go the engineering route? You know, that was just an extension of me being in high school and then my dad was in Silicon Valley I just assumed I'll just apply to something like that. You know, like when you're in high school, you really have no clue what box you're checking off. You know what I'm saying? But I guess in just broad, broad terms in terms of job opportunity or just things seemed a little bit more interesting to me just to study something advanced. So I just checked that box and I graduated with a degree in electrical engineering and computer science, right? It's called EECS, but it actually has like five or six different options that you choose from. You know, and I actually kind of regret that I didn't do something a lot more hardware than software because I never really got into software that much. Yeah, you were thinking futurology, like maybe you might work in AI. And and 25-something years later, Elon Musk and SpaceX are sending Starlink satellites over your home. Is that kind of what you had in mind when you were thinking of the future? Um, are you like a Nardwar version of hip-hop? <laughs> or hip-hop version of Nardwar? <laughs> Am I freaking you out? No, 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 no. It's very impressive. <laughs> But, you know, like having grown up the way I did, it's almost like you kind of have a bird's eye view of your lifetime as well. You know, it's almost like you're always gener- generalizing and analyzing all the moves you make. You know what I mean? And every every city you go to is like a different chapter. And I'm definitely not like, you know, that unique in this day and age. But when I was just straddling a lot of cultures, you know, you just kind of had to be aware of stuff like that, you know? Well, let's speak candidly about the pressures and privileges of being Asian in the United States. What were some of the cultural misconceptions so I can understand how you defined your own personal happiness and was brave enough to stand in your own power during this time period? In co- in my college years? Yeah, because when I'm, when I'm eight years old in 1993, I lived on a military base. So as a biracial kid, I didn't have many obstacles because I grew up in a melting pot. Well, you know, in, so in high school, there really weren't that many Asian people, like Asians in general, we really did not have that many. Maybe some Chinese, some like only a couple of Japanese perhaps, but it was still predominantly Caucasian. And then you had a lot of Latinos and then uh, some African-Americans as well, you know. But it was a very different experience when I went to Cal because there was like uh, just a horde of Asian-Americans, you know what I mean? Like a lot of Filipinos, Cambodians, Thai, of course, Koreans, Chinese, Taiwanese, you know. So it was it was quite interesting, you know. And that was that was a very nice um, change for me. And I and I I'm not the type to just like stick with Asians like a lot of the frat boys do. I was just in the religion of hip hop, you know. But um, as far as the Asian American contingency in the Bay Area, that had a great influence on me. As you know, not just role models but also just being contemporaries yeah i bring it up because success means different things in different parts of the world and i I know you weren't born and raised Mm -hmm. in california you've been all over but japanese in general they're afraid of expressing individuality and they can be subjected to bullying by fellow japanese and whether it's a workplace or a school in fact the, the main reason why skipping grades uh, it, it's not even allowed in the Japanese education system. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're too good, you're bullied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, if anything, like growing up in Japan, 
um, and you know, after uh, being in England and stuff, I really had to kind of make sure that I wouldn't like stand out too much or come come off kind of like pompous, you know, just because I was fluent in English, right? Because because like the first day you're introduced, they're like, yeah, yeah, speak some English, you know, they'll just kind of tease you like that. But but at the same time, I was never the kind of like shy away from attention. So I kind of started to pick up on like humor as a way to connect to people. So that's why I was always an artistic kid just growing up through elementary school. And I and I was like the class president by the time I was in sixth grade. So eventually that type of the need to create and to express, it just kind of came together in high school. And then I took that with me to Cal and then everything blossomed there. So the the stuff that you were studying at Cal, like in present day, do you still focus on the engineering side or any activism? Like in present day, are we at least a little better at properly disposing nuclear waste and nuclear fuel uh, so people aren't exposed to radiation? Because whether we're talking about nuclear power or coronavirus, Mm -hmm. the reason Mm -hmm. why they are big issues is because we don't have a vaccine or we don't fully understand it or we can't contain it, which means – because we have a lack of clarity, there's a lot of conflicting information out there. Oh, yeah, very much so. So uh, the two things you mentioned, you know, one about the nuclear radiation and waste and, you know, especially after Fukushima, I was very active in that. And I was I was very, you know, even though I'm very, very underground and very, very independent, I was instrumental in kind of trying to overturn, like, the government propaganda, you know. Like, for example, they'll try to minimize the contamination by saying oh the amount of radiation you'll receive is no different from flying a commercial airplane or eating a banana you know which is just completely bogus you know so literally i was the only person that pulled out a periodic table and just explained to people like hey the only reason cesium is uh dangerous because it might be stored in your body it mimics potassium the same way strontium mimics calcium and it's going to be deposited in your bones and these are the energies that they're going to release blah 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 right so if you break it down like visually it's very easy to understand and it's very easy to dispel the myths that are put out there right and fast forward like right now you know i've you know put out a couple of videos now talking about the human immune system so i'm very much against the propaganda that there is no cure and you have to have a vaccine in order to build immunity wow up until now, people have only learned one version of the story by the government and the nuclear industry and coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So you're – correct me if I'm wrong, right. but you're essentially a whistleblower. Mm-hmm. Have there have there been attempts on your life either to be silenced or threats to stop digging into these issues? Well, I can't be a whistleblower because I'm not part of the industry, you know? Like you got to be part of the industry to blow a whistle on someone. I'm just, a, I'm just an activist. And I take a more of a journalistic standpoint. And also, I am using my platform as an artist, you know what I mean? To kind of be the, if anything, be the bridge between the whistleblower and the public. That's what I try to do. Yeah, the the industry wants to know the level at which things start causing visible harm. Dr. Oz came under fire saying that we're going to open schools again in the fall no matter what, even if it kills a few dozen Mm -hmm. kids. That's the price we'll we'll pay so our kids get the education they need. So now it's more of a moral question. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a very dumb thing to say, first of all, no matter what you believed, you know? Because we live in modern society now. You know, it's a lot different from natural selection or how evolution has strengthened their immune system while, you know, uh, given up on a few more like vulnerable people on the way. You know what I mean? So you really have to be smart about how you represent your opinions. And also, 
every day, you know, like whenever I get into these pseudo arguments with people in the comments or, you know, I might instigate some conversation and they really come at you like very aggressively, you know, and, and I actually learn a lot more from those exchanges than just something very average, like a compliment or something. I, I mean, for, for me, it's nothing but admiration because I'm looking at a guy that's using his, his career as a platform, like kind of like you have a bullhorn uh, and you can go to the top of the mountain and get the word out. And, and you're, you know, being an engineering student, you're a left brain. If you're mm-hmm. a creative, you're a right, right brain. I'm, I'm a visual artist. And in my entire life, I can say, oh, you know, I'm a good podcaster, I'm a good artist, I'm great this and that. But at the end of the day, if the client doesn't like something, then I'm wrong. I'm talented, sure, but I'm not an outlier. Mm -hmm. And I think you realized early on that in order to carve your own destiny, you can't answer to a Mm -hmm. boss or a client or a supervisor or anybody. So that's admirable. Yeah, I mean, even if you are a freelancer, if you're getting paid by somebody, somebody, right, it's really hard to bite the hand that feeds you, right? And then also you mentioned... The brain analogy, you know, Dell has an album called Both Sides of the Brain. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so when you work with uh, Paul uh, Abadia to do screen prints of your New Jabez tribute tour, there's, you know, abstract saxophones and, and mics and turntables. Mm-hmm. It looks to be a two-color screen print, red, orange, and black, and there's mm-hmm. variants. How involved mm-hmm. are you working with Paul? Because you know what they say, doctors make the worst patients. So I wonder if you'd be a nightmare client to design for because you know how it works. Oh, no, no. Especially... In that case, he'll be just a prime example of um, you just let the man do his work because he's a genius. Oh, I'm so glad you, know? you said that, man. I'm so glad you said yeah. that because I have like I have two tattoo sleeves on my arm, and I found an artist, and I mm-hmm. basically said, "Do whatever you want, man. I just want your art. I'm not going to play this cat and mouse game because, like, you know, do that. Use this color because it limits the artist, and I wanted something that was going to be." free it free his limitations and if he enjoys working on the art it'll be a better piece for it so i apply that same theory to pretty much everything i do yeah i mean of course i i can be like that too you know i definitely can be like that you know i could be that nightmare client but when you're dealing with somebody as talented as paul and then he's very thoughtful in his design i i really can't say anything about it anything bad about it yeah, I just I love the whole process, man. So let's just say you had a maybe your definition of success changed. Maybe you had a manager or a booking agent, or maybe you knew that recording Battle Cry was going to be popular and syndicated all over the United States. Maybe things would have turned out different. So sometimes it's good not to be in full control of your expectations. Oh yeah, you can't really control anything, to be honest. You know, and then a lot of things do indeed take time for it to blossom. You know, you really have to invest some time into it. For sure. Yeah, I remember like right after Samurai Champloo came out, let's say at that point in time your career was at an intersection where if you capitalized on it, big success was heading your way. But I remember uh, if you were a consumer, you heard Battle Cry and you're like, well, who's this new Jabez guy? Who is this uh, Shingo 2 guy? Let me go to the record store and find more stuff from them. The only thing out at the time was the 400 instrumentals. And a lot of people bought it because your name was on it. But it was mm-hmm. an instrumental for an album called 400, and you weren't really on it. The music was by Vector Omega. So not exactly the smoothest transition. Oh, not at all. Yeah. I, maybe Mary Joy Recordings dropped the ball. Maybe they want to do some slick promoting. Maybe they want to capitalize off the hype. But what, what was your take on that, all that? No, I mean, yeah, it's a lot of things, man. It's a lot of things. It's a lot of things. Because, well, first of all, the 400 400- – album is just a japanese album right 
And then Vector Omega, just my producer name. So I had made all of those beats with records that, you know, that I shared with my friend co-signer at the time. And I think it just so happened that we had pressed the instrumental version of the CD so we can sell ourselves while the actual album was doing its thing in Japan, you know, because the label had basically paid for it to distribute, but we never got around to licensing or pressing the American versions ourselves. You know what I'm saying? And then it also came in the heels of, if you recall, 9-11, right? So that actually messed up a lot of artists because a couple of big distributors went down right after 9-11, like much like the corona crisis happening right now. You know, they use it as, a, as an excuse to just like disappear. But are you saying what, Vector Omega was kind of like an al- producer alter ego? Was that you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's me. Mind blown. Way. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Is that common I mean, knowledge or is that, were you keeping that under wraps or am I just behind? Uh, I mean, of course I never ever said it in public nor was like a big deal for me, you know, and I just use it as an alias because I don't know. I just had this thing that Shingo 2 is an MC project for me and I never imagined myself like crediting produced by Shingo 2. I just never felt that it fit, you know, so whenever I, I made a beat, I just say Vector Omega. So you're so you're in the Bay Area. It's time for a change. Before moving to Honolulu, you wrestle with moving to New York City. What were the factors you were balancing? Was it for your mental health? Was it for your career? Or did you just want to move somewhere you'd never been before? Yeah, so all of the above. But I was actually in Los Angeles for for like good four years before I moved to Hawaii after the Bay. Wait, what? So you, so Los Angeles, Honolulu, the Bay? No, no, no. So San Francisco Bay. I was there from 1989 to 2008, right? Right. And from 2008 to around 2012 or so, I was in LA. So okay. that's a good four years. And then from 13 on, I, I'm pretty, I've pretty much been in, um, or maybe 2014 on, I've been here. So how did you bounce back? Because for a period of time, you were losing faith in America and hip-hop and materialism. And now you continue to live in America. You're still releasing music and you create materials, clothes, tangible art. So I imagine each category had its separate hurdles. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say that I was losing faith. I was just having a critical, you know, just having a critical eye for everything. And that's what hip hop has taught me to do. Right. So I think for a lot of people, and this is kind of what I'm realizing now that, you know, a lot of the youngsters now, they never really fully experienced 9-11 and the horrors that, you know, came after that in terms of the media and everything else, how they try to sell us the war, you know what I mean? And then that was like a big, big shift for everyone. And then for me as a Japanese person, uh, 2011 was a huge year, right? With the nuclear disaster, right? And like a very socially 
cautious shifting moment, you know, but for me, you know, I just kind of fell into living in Hawaii. That's a whole another long story why I ended up here, but I kind of, you know, long story short, I found a really nice creative scene that I could be a part of over here, right? Starting with the studio that I, that I, um, take part in. And then there's like a, another big mural festival called powwow. There's a big culture built around that. So I just started meeting a lot of people and then I was volunteering my time there too. I'm familiar with that. I used to be friends with Jeff Hamada who runs boom. And, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. He, I see him like every year, basically it's like a ritual. Yeah. You know? I, I used to people. I used to run an art blog about a decade ago and and I remember that uh taking shape and it's just it's grown year over year. So I, I think mm-hmm. you know in the present day I'm talking to you I'm I'm glad that you're in a place that you're comfortable in uh that you want to stay put for a number of years and uh I'm I'm just really excited for the future. Now, you know, Nujabes and Jay Dilla both similar, both very different. I know you got to be tired of answering the same old questions, so I'm going to ask you a question that you've never been asked. Why Mm-hmm. Is it that drama surrounds Dilla, but drama does not surround Nujabes? Because you have been doing tribute concerts, anime fans love him, lo-fi lovers love him, his music's great, he's great, let's honor him. Dilla, however, is a beat god, but there are artists who use his name incorrectly. Uh, that The same venue, Controllerize, the, the, the one that you went to in Atlanta with Stolen Drums, they did a Nujabes tribute. They were going to do a Dilla tribute. But his mom shut it down and prohibited anyone mm-hmm. from doing it. And I'm, I, I just I see all this controversy around Dilla, and I never see any around Nujabes. Mm-hmm. Why is it harder mm-hmm. to honor one person more than another? I imagine if you wanted to mm-hmm. honor Nujabes, but every step of the mm-hmm. way there were roadblocks, controversy to prevent you from doing it. it. It's just is there a lack of unity in the hip hop community versus the lo-fi community? What's your take? Am I am I out of bounds here, or or do you see some of that? No. Between you and me and your audience, I'm just going to tell you right now that statement you made couldn't be further from the truth. There is a lot of drama. Okay, well, we'll leave it at that then. Maybe it's it's. <laughs> there is a lot of drama. Maybe there, we just don't hear about can it. Can probably then. be books made and movies made. Like there's a lot of drama. But if anything, you know what? Like, yeah, I take pride in not airing any of that and then we keep it about the music because it's very dear to me you know i was about to say the same thing i love that i'm not a tabloid and i'm not here to dig up dirt but i'm glad you said that and and that you guys are more mature to focus on the music and honoring his legacy so hey we'll leave it at that man and uh we'll focus on the music you're returning to a more boom bap sound with jack the rip the video is great the album is i think it's called triumphant Mm-hmm. And I know that you can't tour as much as you'd like right now, but uh, if you, you have the floor to promote it. With Jack, like I've never met him face-to-face. I was supposed to see him in Chicago uh, a couple months ago, but, but the tour ended up not happening. We're like two stops shy of reaching Chicago, and then we had to turn back and go back to Hawaii. But with him, you know, he had been sending me like quality beats for a while, maybe at least a year before we started working together and then i think it was like about a year ago you know when i came off tour in 2019 i reached out out to him like hey do you still have that beat and then we kind of started collaborating and then it didn't really take long for us to build like an album worth of material you know but we just haven't put the finishing touchings on it yet. You know, if anything, I've just been distracted with so many other projects. But he's he's one patient dude. So, 
you know, we're, we're just kind of releasing all these like snippets that other friends have like, you know, made videos with. And it's kind of being like cross pollinating and cross promoting our project as well. So it's been good. Well, like New Jabez and Dilla share a birthday, you and Jack the Rip share a birthday. So one could say it's meant to be. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. You're definitely going Nardwar on, on us right now. <laughs> but you know what's funny? Like me and Jack didn't realize that we had the same birthday until our birthdays. That, that was very weird. You know, I was like, wait, are you like wishing me happy birthday or what's going on? You know, I really had to call him up and he didn't believe me. You know, I had to, I had to send him my like, I had to send him my driver's <laughs> license, you know, just to make sure he knew that I wasn't like pulling his leg. That's funny. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to the project and, you know, naturally, you know, you make, uh, you make great fashion, amazing music. Uh, now you have a better podcast than me. So leave, you know, leave some for the rest of us, man. Come on. It's little by little, you know, but even though like <laughs> earlier in the podcast, you said that I have a platform, you know, like you could always, always have a bigger platform. And even have, even if you have an X number of people following you, it really doesn't mean much in, you know in terms of metrics, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like you have 10,000 people follow you, but you put out something really important. You think is important, but maybe like 10 people click it. And that's like normal now, you know, it's just the attention span of the people. And also what if those 10 people followed thousand other people, you know, what are the chances that they, they even get to see it? So it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Well, I hope that you can hit the road again. I hope this pandemic, uh, I hope the pandemic doesn't ease off. We relax and it comes harder. I just, I hope it goes away so we can get back doing the things that we love again. Uh, I just want to thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. And uh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, dude. So if anything, yeah, I would like to push the podcast. I mean, the videos that we're doing is very important. You know, no matter what job you you do, like it's going to affect us for a long time here on out. You know, like if you really care about, you yourself and your family and your friends and your work you really should like brush up on knowledge you know like what do these tests mean like what is a vaccine like how is it different you know and then most importantly like understand how to protect your uh self like health wise i'm gonna put all that in the show notes so yeah i yeah definitely please check out the couple of videos we've done so far and i'm working on a third episode right now to talk more about vitamin d and the importance of that love it all right ladies and gentlemen shingo too thank you appreciate it yeah peace out thank you so much Some fight, some bleed, some up, some down, the sons of a battle